Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. All right, well, let's let's jump into this morning's reflection then. We've been, and will be still for some time, with little, little interruptions probably here and there but um just this this focus around this this idea that uh, to follow jesus is to be matured is, is into him is to be made perfect um uh, and not perfect as in um without any sort of uh, uh cracks or blemishes necessarily but perfect as in coming into the fullness of of intention being exactly and precisely who we are made to be that's the uh, in christ that is the that's the thing that's the desire. Um, and that is always uh, the other thing to remember. It's beautiful. Um, you know, we're in a season of, of, of exploring the word reconciliation um, with, uh, with Aboriginal people in Canada. That's, that's, it's a word that's getting a lot of traction these days. Um, reconciliation is at the end of this as well. This is part of the driving characteristic of the gospel is reconciliation of people to people and people to God and people to creation and creation to people and creation to God. I mean, it's this big reconciliation story. And so reconciliation is actually also part of what it looks like to be matured. This is part of the ongoing thing. And so, um, so I, and, and reconciliation that word broadly, the, the, the bringing together of broken things um, in, in its healthiest form, <clears throat> pardon me, a little frog in my throat, uh, that's a big part of what the gospel is. And it's also a big part of what fuels um, the things that we can be deeply and profoundly thankful for, right? We have moments in our life that can have a fleeting kind of thankfulness. And then there are things and moments and, and people in relationships that are, um, that can be reservoirs of thankfulness. And, um, and so this is sort of the direction that I wanted to, to reflect on this morning, this idea of, of our relatedness to one another, our relatedness to God. And, um, you know, when we think about reconciliation, um, the big word to me um, that is going to be really, really pertinent is this thing of grace. Grace is going to be absolutely it is absolutely critical. Grace is critical to the gospel. Grace is critical to our own journey as we mature, because guess what maturity looks like? Maturity looks like making a bunch of mistakes. Um, uh, that's part of what it means to live and to walk. And so grace is part of what allows us to make mistakes in the right direction, to make mistakes in the direction of Jesus. That's a strange thing to consider. Grace is really, really important. Um, and so, um, and at the, at the heart of all of that, I'm, I'm threading together a whole bunch of sort of disparate words, and hopefully this is going to form a thread. I'm going to land this inside of a passage of scripture that I hope is going to tie at least some of this together. You know, we can look at something like reconciliation. We can look at a word like thankfulness. How many of us want more of that in our lives, right? I think probably we do. Um, undergirding those things, 
undergirding those things is a word that is less cool, less, maybe we wouldn't sign up quite as easily. And that, that word is, uh, is actually humility. Humility is what is actually going to undergird all of the initiatives of, of reconciliation, every kind of reconciliation, even this thing I'm talking about creationally with creation reconciliation. I mean, that's going to, it's a requirement that there's a posture of humility that's taken. Gratitude, thankfulness, we don't really get there apart from taking a posture of humility. And, and Jesus talks about this in a roundabout way, and it's absurd the way he does it, right? It's, it's absurd. We're actually called into an absurdly grateful humility. That's what we're called into, an absurdly grateful humility. Um, it's a kind of humility that gives us an extraordinary sense of personal worth, like profound sense of personal worth so that you and I know exactly what we're worth. We don't have that. We're not the rest of it. The, the rest of it's going to be uh, um, like, like pushing a wet noodle up a hill. We need to know what we're worth. And that worth is expressed according to Jesus. I think we're called to express that sense of personal worth in such an attitude and a way in humility that says this world owes me nothing. Now, these are things that don't necessarily, you know, these are streams of thought that we don't necessarily think flow in the same direction. They don't naturally flow in the same direction, right? I have an extraordinary sense of personal worth. I know what I'm worth, right? And the world owes me nothing. That's a, that's a, those, that's a contradiction in brain flow. So I'm thinking rivers. If each one of these is a river, it feels like they're flowing in different directions. Because if I know what I'm worth, I'm going to ask for what I'm worth, right? I'm looking at a job and I know what I'm worth. I'm going to ask for a salary that reflects what I'm worth. Right? So how does this, how does this work? Right? What's the, what's the hub here? What's the, what's the fulcrum point? Um, under girding a lot of the forms that our lives have merged out of, right? The things that have made us who we are in, in, uh, and maybe some of the things that we are struggling with and who we are, uh, you know, this may not be the, the center of it all, but it's certainly pretty, it's significant, um, that the world around us, that, that's, uh, that the desire here is that we don't go around, um, in this posture of the, the world doesn't know me anything. Uh, is that the world has, has sort of breed, has, has bred into our sensibilities an entitlement, a sense of entitlement, right? Everything that we, most of the things that we buy, maybe everything that we buy in life, we're told that we should get it because we deserve it, particularly those wants, right? Needs are one thing. Needs are easy to, easy to sell. It's easy to it's easy to sell a bottle of water to someone who's, who's you know, dying of thirst, right? You don't need a strong sales pitch to do that. But 
you know, to, 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 to get into, you know, the upper brands of water, right? You need, which is what, which is what our world is about. It's upsell, the upsell, the upsell, the entitlement, fusing us with a sense of entitlement. And so we have this tension that lives in this. We're, we're, we're called to have a profound sense of personal worth with no sense of entitlement, no need of entitlement. Maybe I should say that no need of entitlement. Okay. How are we going to, where, how are we going to get there? Well, this Thanksgiving, I want to tell you a cautionary tale. Um, that doesn't seem like a happy Thanksgiving message, but I think underlying it are assumptions that should lead us, if we, if we listen closely, should lead us, should be able to set our feet on the pathway of thanksgiving, of being thankful, of, of releasing our sense of entitlement. Matthew 18, uh, verses 23 to 35, it's a chunk Jesus tells a story. And I'm just going to read it here, and I want you to listen closely, even if you're very familiar with the text, with the story. So here it is. Matthew 18, 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay that debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Jesus is telling the story and Jesus finishes by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Everyone feeling warm and fuzzy inside? I want to just kind of create a space. Anyone have any reflections, thoughts? What do you hear in that story? What do you, what do you hear that story being about? If there's any, any thoughts, I just want to welcome, welcome those. There's a little bit, you better or else. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's a bit heavy handed, Jesus. Being a little heavy-handed here. Any other uh, any other thoughts, observations, even questions? Not that I'll have the answer, but 
I love a good conversation. I think the thing that strikes me is probably those hundred coins, although they are, uh, you know, they pale in comparison in the story to what had been forgiven earlier. Yeah. Um, probably still seemed like a lot of money to those servants, obviously, since one of them couldn't pay it back. And so just a reminder to me that uh, things that seem like a big deal to me are really equivalent to those hundred coins in the grand scheme. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if, you know, if, if anyone's kind of done a lot of digging, does anyone have a sense uh, offhand of the kind of values that are actually being reflected? Like how the people who are listening to Jesus talk, how they would have interpreted what he was saying in terms of, you know, value, cash, amounts, that kind of thing. Anyone have? I, from what I recall, the, the original and I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I, in my mind, what I heard was that the original debt that was forgiven was kind of at least a lifetime's worth of work, essentially, mm -hmm. um, essentially almost an enslaved, an enslavement amount to pay back, right? Like you'd have to spend your entire life working towards it. Yeah. Um, but I don't recall what, in, in my, I like to imagine that the hundred coins was, you know, would be equivalent today for us of, you know, thousand dollars or maybe ten thousand dollars or something like that but I, I actually don't i don't know yeah well you're, you're you're in the right direction for sure so um so these are not neither of these are insignificant sums of of money right um <clears throat> so just so that we have a bit of context the second part of the story right the servant has been forgiven a significant amount of money, let's say, like that's pretty obvious. There's a significant amount of money. We're going to talk about what that amount actually was because it's meaningful in this. Um, but essentially what he's doing, he's, he's going in the hundred silver coins. What we're talking about here is somewhere in the neighborhood of around 12,000 bucks in today's terms. 12,000 bucks. So if I owe somebody 12,000 bucks um, they have every right to anticipate that that's going to get paid back there are likely terms we've likely had a conversation I mean because it's not an instinct that's not hey do you have 20 bucks to loan me so that I can whatever right get some gas or something right I mean 12,000 that's a that's a, an investment um, has anyone ever uh well, this might be too personal a story. Um, I can tell you, I uh, I know what it's, I, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Maybe I'll tell it someday. But like in the past, I know what it's like for somebody to gift, uh, to gift that kind of money uh, close to it. Uh, it's a crazy, it's a, it's a shocking experience. Shocking uh, to have somebody come along and to, and to invest that kind of money, right? Um, it's non-insignificant. The, the response is either, I mean, to be gifted, it is to, is to experience great gratitude and shock, shock, actually. And, uh, and if anyone um, has carried that kind of debt load, you know that that kind of debt load is a, is a weight. Like if it's, you know, they have this thing called bad debt, right? Like where what you owe is essentially, um, 
it's just stuff like it has no um, investment value, right? So having debt in something like property, like a house or something, you look at that and you go, well, you know, it's holding its value, but bad debt is something that has no real value. It's just a, it's just a burden. And so that's a, you know, I know that feeling. That's a bad feeling having that kind of bad debt hanging on you. Imagine it's somebody, you know, imagine it's not an institution. It's somebody that, you know, we're not talking about an insignificant debt. Right. And so I think what's really important and to Tim's point, there are two, there are two contexts here. One is to say there's something, there's something going on here to say maybe the thing that feels so big is really not by comparison as big as I think. But on the other hand, um, uh, this is by nobody's measure an insignificant sum of money, the second exchange, right? The first exchange is, is hilarious. Um, the kind of money that we're talking about here in order to amass the kind of debt that this servant has amassed with the king, if he was to borrow $19,000 every day from the time that Jesus was born until today, he wouldn't quite have that amount of debt amassed yet. I want to say that again. So if somebody was born at the time when Jesus was born, if he borrowed and never made a single cent repayment, if he borrowed $19,000 a day, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, he wouldn't quite have amassed the debt that this character seems to have pulled together. This is not quite Elon Musk level, of, of, of wealth or debt, but we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of about $14 billion is what that, is what that trends. And I've, I've, I've run the numbers on this a few different ways to make sure I'm not sort of doing hyperbole here, right? Like we're talking, we're talking about a debt that's a, that's a significant portion of Rome's, the Roman Empire's entire like gross domestic product number, right? Like this is, this is absurd. So it's important when we hear the whole thing to know that Jesus has, Jesus is being ridiculous here. He's being unreasonable, right? And he, we read it so casually, right? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle debts, uh, settle accounts with the servants. And so as he began a settlement, he, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Right? $14 billion, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children be sold in order to repay the debt. How much is the servant worth to the king? Like there's this ridiculous, there's this ridiculous assessment of the worth of this of this character, right? The, re, the debt gets repaid in the value of the person. This person is to the king. Apparently, if you look at this and kind of make it into a bit of a math quiz, this person is worth fourteen billion dollars to the king. Has a profound sense of personal worth, right? And yet the king actually, you know, 
acknowledges that the that the servant's saying, hey, I'll pay back everything, you know, and he, he says, oh, you know what? Who are you kidding? You're not, you know, I'm, it cancels the debt, releases him from that debt, takes that loss, right? And so, so that's the first part of this that I hadn't ever really noticed before. I hadn't really considered the fact that in this thing, that there's something about the king valuing, absurdly, obscenely valuing this, this servant. That's something that's worth listening to. Not just in terms of how we manage our sin, which is very much what this is about. This has to do with forgiveness, by the way. This is the context in which Jesus tells us the story. So it is in the context of forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, right? And let's not lose that. It is also, it also gives us a hint of the abundance of, of what God thinks about when he thinks about us, how God values you and me. It's, it's beyond our reckoning. We really don't have a brain that can contain these kinds of numbers. So that's the, that's the first thing that I, that I paid attention to. God really, like, cares. God really values. Do I value myself? Do I value others that way? I'm not sure. But anyway. So then we go to the second part of the equation, right? So here we've got somebody, and they've got about a $12,000 debt. And so, um, and it, we just read it. This is a very different exchange, right? It starts off the same way. Hey, buddy, you owe me. And the other person says, I can't, but I will. And then the first servant says, too bad, man. This is your last, this is your last run. You know, we've had this conversation. This is the last time hasn't thrown in prison. So there are a few things that I've noted here that I've never paid attention or, or noticed before. Firstly, first servant, what's the first, after, after the encounter with the king, what's the first servant's net worth? If you owe $14 billion and you're forgiven $14 billion debt, what are you, what's your net worth? What are you worth? Your net worth is zero, right? Break even. He's just, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a bank account. There is a sense, and I'd never thought about this before. There's a sense of there being a real felt need, right? His credit is you know, and again, I'm, I'm modernizing this in ways that might be doing violence to, to, to the story a little bit, but let's just play with this a little bit, right? His credit rating is bad. He's got a bad credit rating. No one's going to give him, I mean, the king may have forgiven him, but he's got a bad credit rating. He's not, right? He's, this guy, this guy's not worth anything in terms of monetary value. The king has said, you know, I value you this much, but in terms of like, what's he going to go buy bread with? A lot of nothing. And then he goes and he says, well, so-and-so owes me some money. So there's a felt need and there's a, there's a sense of sufficiency, right? There's a sense of entitlement. I'm owed this money. So he goes and, and we know the rest of the story, right? Um, now here's another question. Here's another thing that I had never considered before. Who actually, in reality, holds the debt of the second servant? 
Anybody, unmute and tell me what you think. The king. The king absolutely holds the debt, right? Because if you're in debt $14 billion, $14 billion is your debt load. And somebody owes you $12,000 and you get that $12,000. Who does that $12,000 go to immediately? Goes to the king, right? Because you're, you're in the hole. You're in the hole like a lot. And I'd never quite seen, I mean, there's the offense of like just the hypocrisy of the experience here. Right. That, that to me feels like it's right on the surface. Yeah. I've received forgiveness. Therefore I ought to forgive. I'd never really considered the fact that, that by the servant withholding forgiveness, he's actually, he's laying claim. He's laying claim to a debt that he feels entitled to, but it isn't even his debt. It's somebody else's debt that he's collecting on. Right. There's a circle of thinking that's here that it is because there's an entitlement that, that doesn't quite get released in the simple pardoning of that, of that weight of, of the debt. There's something else that's going on. The king, the king is not quite taken the spot in the heart of that first servant. There's not that perspective that's given, right? Like the one thing that I can say about that first servant is this. That first servant does not have a clue what's what, right? There's, no, the, the, there's a disconnect with reality, with the reality of their own circumstance, with the reality of their relatedness to the others that are around them, right? And what's that the fuel of that is this, is this kind of entitlement, this, un, this incapacity to be able to recognize where goodness is at work, where Forgiveness and kindness is at work where value is, is at work, right? Because to, to interpret this, like the different story is that, is that the servant realizes their profound value to the king is profoundly grateful that their debt has been, has been released, but also has the sense of, wow, like I have proximity to the king. And I know what it's like to be around, you know, to, to kind of rub shoulders with people who have a, a really healthy sense of their own great worth in community and to rub shoulders with people who have no sense of their worth in community, right? And they're, they're, they hold their posture is different. Their manner is different. Interestingly, often their income is different. And I don't think it's because of talent pool. I think that there's this innate sense of who we are. Um, and, and that is all in place. It's all accessible to that first servant, but the entitlement has cut them off from being able to perceive and see and be thankful and to extend thankfulness and to participate in the economy that they're actually belong to. Right. So this is like a, almost a black market transaction that's happening here. It's, it's the books are not right. There's something. And then finally we have this very disturbing final passage to this right then the master called the servant in you wicked servant he said i canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as i had on you in his anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed and then even worse this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's a heavy, burdensome 
challenging passage, right? That's a passage that makes me, you know, there are ways of reading that that, that, that cause me to go, God, are you, are you safe? Can I, can I be, make mistakes in your presence? Can I, like, like, can I really be cut off? Can, like, right? Like, it, it sort of introduces anxiety into my relationship. It can. It can introduce anxiety into my relationship with God, into my relationship with other people. And I just want to talk about this. Now, I don't pretend to have all the answers to this, and I don't want to dilute or water down any, any of the power of the words that Jesus chose to speak here. What I know for sure as I read this is that what Jesus is driving at is that this really, really, really matters. I think it's worth noting that Jesus starts with a ridiculous sum of money. And he ends with, with an extreme response in the Lord. There's, Jesus is really communicating in the strongest kind of language, using the highest peaks and the lowest valleys to drive his point. That our posture towards others, our posture towards the Lord, and even how we understand ourselves, it really, really, it really matters. I have this, this sense, like, not that we create the character and nature of God in our own image, but isn't that sort of what we see a little bit happening here? that the servant misunderstands the nature of the king to the extent that he has gotten it wrong himself, right? He kind of, he experiences God as, as others experience him. He experiences God as others experience him. And that's something I don't think it, I don't think it paints back actually on the character and nature and desire of the father at all. But it does speak to the influence and the impact of how we treat and respond to others and the relationship that we have in terms of gratitude. And, and again, at the heart of gratitude being this lack of, of being owed, of calling in debts, right? If we were to look and say, where's the heart of God in this passage, where would we look? The heart of God in this passage is to forgive $14 billion in debt with the blink of an eye. Like that's the desire in the heart of God. That's where the heart of God is reflected here, not in the punishment, right? That's actually, that's a self, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that that is primarily a self-inflicted indictment that we see at the end. That is not the heart and desire of God. The heart and desire of God is extravagant. And the response to that, the adequate and proper response to that is to, is to let go, to shed every kind of attachment to, to entitlement. And to ask the Lord for, for help in that. Like there's all kinds of conversations that don't happen in this parable that could. Powerfully, this parable is also not, it doesn't encapsulate and sum up actually the whole story of the gospel either, right? We get all of the examples of Peter, Peter blowing it in different ways, right? Peter being uncharitable when he's hanging out with Paul and the Gentiles. And, and, and Paul has to confront him to his face and say, you are being inconsistent. You're being a hypocrite right now. And, and we know that Peter, 
that Peter is, is restored multiple times. We know that Peter is able to repent and is able to step back into a place of, of reconciliation with people. So there's, there's a lot of good news that lives in and around this. But at the center of it is that thanksgiving, the capacity to be thankful, which is to let go of entitlement. Like that's how we get to thanksgiving. Right? Because when we let go of entitlement, then that means that every single good thing must have come from Jesus. Every single good thing, no matter how small or how vast, came from the Lord if we are not entitled to it. And I'm not inviting us into worm theology either. Right? There's a total reliance on the king. The king brought him to zero. And zero is either a place of poverty or a place of freedom. And the servant, apparently, in my, I'm, I'm wondering if when the servant, you know, he, I imagine that there was a sense of relief, but what did he immediately do? He went out immediately to collect debts because he was at zero. So I want to invite us today as we're in this moment of, of Thanksgiving and where there is extraordinary social debt that's being acquired and, and transacted all over the place, Right. I, you know, we, we see this, all of the anger, all of like, there's, you know, there really is a lot of, of um, self-protectionism, protectionism, protectionism, accusation, um, injustice, all kinds of things that are going around. There's a lot of social debt that's, every time I open up social media, I feel like somebody's either stolen <laughs> some piece from me that I want back, or maybe I've done that to other people. When Jesus brings us to zero, is it is it is it uh, freedom or is it or is it poverty? Right. The invitation to us is that it's that it's freedom to be thankful. So we'll leave with this thought today. Grace has been defined by some as being the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Now it's a little bit religious in its terminology. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God demonstrated in the forgiveness of all sins, all your sins and mine, and in the release of good of every good thing grace grace is what's being transacted here and i think this is also key receiving the grace of god when we receive it when we accept it we are committed to something and it matters and there's even grace in the walking out from this but listen to me receiving the grace of god commits us you and me to a life of gratitude. That's what we're committed to, right? We, the, the world owes us nothing and we owe the world nothing. But listen, the world owes us nothing and we owe the Lord everything. We are committed in the receiving of, in the receiving of freely given grace. We are committed to a life of gratitude and renouncing all entitlements, come what may. That's hard beautiful and it's hard and it matters so lord thank you that thank you is more than just a word 
but it is an entire way of understanding our life. And Lord, we can, I, I think I can do this on behalf of us. We, if you've got it, if you've got it all right, feel free to just exit yourself from this prayer and say, I don't need this prayer. That's fine. Lord, we confess that we really don't know a whole lot about what we have to be thankful for. We actually don't have very, very great uh, lenses and perspectives, but we don't, we don't really understand the debt that we've been released from. We don't understand what it is to, um, to have gratitude and to extend the grace that we've received forward. We, we struggle with it. We struggle knowing what it is. We struggle living in it. We struggle dreaming in that space. I struggle dreaming in that space. And Lord, we ask, we ask you today and tomorrow and for the rest of the story of our lives, Lord, that you would reveal to us. We ask for the grace and for the capacity and the understanding that we would have thankfulness erupt out of us, even when it feels like all we are is at net zero, even when it feels like life is not abundant. God, that there would be a moment where we would recognize, oh my goodness, there's freedom in this place, not poverty, freedom. We ask that you'd work this out in our lives, Lord. And that we would be able to receive others as we've been received by you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And one final caveat, just because it matters, and I heard it when I said it. The Lord also cares about real poverty and real and, and calls us to respond to real poverty. So the zero is actually, you know, that being at zero is a place of, of thanksgiving. That's an invitation for people who are in poverty, for sure, because they're not cut off from grace. But it is not an abdication of the church to respond to that poverty. And so I just want to declare that out loud because it felt weird in my mouth when I prayed that. So anyway, with that, I'm going to close this out. We're a little over time. Um, so, uh, bless you into the rest of your day. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope it is a happy, uh, happy day for you. And, um, yeah, we'll see you, uh, next week, 630 at Royal city. Yeah. All right. Peace.